0: Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome
1: to Returning Home. I'm your host, Natalie Sapinski. I am talking to you from the car where I'm driving. Um, I just met someone who's going to help us with our amazing work with our medics. for He's actually a medic himself, and he's going to be going to the States and uh, meeting with people, and I'm very, very excited to have a new person on our team but I wanted to talk to you about um, something that does happen here in Israel It's a something I've never even mentioned I don't think to any of you but every time I get in the car I say Tefilat HaDerech, the traveler's prayer I think it's called a wayfarer's prayer and it's very important to do um, in every aspect of your life I've only done that since living here in the southern Hebron Hills And I actually learned about this prayer from being a trampist, a uh, hitchhiker. And I told you all that for the first uh, several years living in Susia, I did not drive out of the area. We had one car. I only drove it um, to do, you know, shopping and and things around the area, taking the kids where they needed to go in Har um, and i tramped elsewhere um i took hitchhikes and i remember being in the car being a passenger of the car and having people say this prayer having the driver say the prayer or a passenger say this prayer and i actually looked up the rules at one point it's in every um prayer book the major the, the regular prayer book and it says when you're supposed to say it i think something like when you are beyond 250 meters from your home if you're in an open area with no town nearby and you're supposed to say that and what it really is saying is to asking God to protect you to get you where you're going safely and to get you home safely so I say that every time I get in the car and um, it has helped I believe it's helped I believe it also reminds me and reminds all of us who say it that we're not in charge here God is in charge and we always need to remember that and um it's a great way to to start any travel. You're also supposed to do it on the plane. I think there's actually a special prayer for the plane. But I'm telling you that because uh, it's something that I've never discussed, I've never mentioned. And um, it's really, uh, you know, part of every time I drive. And it does make you realize um, where we are because there are so many tragedies on the road and driving here is a risk. And, you know, I think driving anywhere is a risk. And so many people don't think of it that way. Um, I uh, see, Not only do I see the, the drivers here with the just regular road accidents, and there are dozens of them, but I see it from my point of view as a passenger, but I also, because of my work with the medics of Yudin Shimon, there are so many road accidents. That's mostly what we do. Those are most of the calls we get, and our first responders respond to accidents victims and those kind of injuries there are so many bad drivers and it's not just the arabs okay that a lot of people say oh the the arabs they don't know how to drive it's not true the israelis are aggressive drivers too um i've become more aggressive living here that's there's good in that you know you need to be aggressive in life in certain times certain situations and driving here in and shimon you know there's no police there are no stoplights there's no um shoulders on the road there's no uh sidewalks it is rough terrain okay and some of these roads go right up against arab homes and um lots of fields and grape vines and open you know fields like sometimes you'll see also uh in the road all of a sudden you're gonna see uh, a guy on his donkey a guy driving a tractor sometimes you see The um, shepherds you know meander into the road with their goats Um, all kinds of things happen then you get the uh, the drivers themselves and a lot of these drivers I'm talking about the Arabs now a lot of them are first-generation drivers and I blame their bad driving on that circumstance now what does that mean a first-generation driver they weren't raised as passengers in the car now I was a child of carpooling and my mom drove, my dad drove, our neighbors, everyone's parents drove, driving was normal and all adults I knew drove. And I was always a passenger and I, you learn, you know, you actually learn things. I was in a car accident when I was six years old. Um, My aunt uh, spun on the ice and we landed in a ditch. I was also in an accident with my entire family when I was 10 years old, a very serious car accident. Uh, Someone plowed right into us off the highway when we were coming home from camp, okay, like in Maryland, I think. Um, I've been in several accidents my whole life as adults also, and and when you're a child and you experience that, you you do learn. Even if you're not in an accident, you learn. You kind of just learn how to behave in the car. Well, Arabs and people, I guess, in um, poverty or third world, uh, if they're actually not even poverty, but if you live on a farm and you were raised where um not everyone has a vehicle and driving isn't a regular normal thing if you're a child and you weren't raised in the car you don't know about these rules of the road you may not know how to behave you may think that driving on the car in real life is a lot like driving in the arcade on a game and uh you see the ridiculous and the dangerous way that some of these drivers do behave on the road it's unbelievable they'll they'll pass you Um, when it's totally inappropriate time to pass you at a curve or they, uh, you know, some of them just, you know, not only pass you, but they also pass the three cars in front of you at one time. It's, it's really, it's really, um, nuts and it makes you very sharp. My driving has improved tremendously since being here. I'm a much stronger driver now. I'm a much less fearful driver, less, uh, hesitant, but, um, you have to operate on all five cylinders, you know, you got to be alert and the terrain here, not just the road where I live, but all over in You're surrounded by hills and by rocks and, you know, there's the rock throwing and then there's the Molotov cocktail throwing and then there's the intentional accidents, you know, road ramming, um, car ramming, uh, not road rage. That, that no, they, they, that might happen in Tel Aviv, but the roads out here, it's terrorism. And uh, sometimes they even shine a light, a, a laser, to blind you. Um, sometimes they'll put a, a rocks, a line of rocks, on the road. It's kind of like a rock barrier, to to, call, to make you stop, and so they can attack you. Uh, all all kinds of things. And you got to be sharp. You got to you got to think on your feet sometimes. What are you going to do if you come across a rock barrier? I remember someone telling me about that. I didn't know what they were talking about. I said, "What did you do?" And this one woman said, I, I turned around." Um, you know, a friend of mine was recently telling me, Natalie, I remember the first time we came to Susia and I asked you what we should do, where we were, we weren't sure. And you just said, you go fast, you know, press the, the, press the, the, the pedal and go as fast as you can. Um, you can't be, um, insecure and you can't show insecurity. And I think that holds true for Jews everywhere, not just when you're behind the wheel of a car you have got to be strong you got to be strong in Israel you got to be strong out of Israel you have got to stand up you have got to be able to fight you can't be afraid and that's how you got to carry yourself through life with strength and with assertiveness and that's what you can develop here I'll just say one more thing that um, that maybe I, I could add in to what I just said but Israel is a modern country, okay, and and for many years it's been a little more modern than um, the other places in the world. I'm talking about America, but maybe also this applies to Europe, uh, where I grew up. It was the father who went to work and the mother who stayed home. Now that was in the 1970s and 80s, and I know things have changed a lot. Today there are a lot of mothers who work. It's um you know both parents work in many many countries and in America many families. But in Israel, that's been going on a long, long time because the economy here is so different, and uh, the, there's just you, you can't have one parent working. It just doesn't pay enough. Um, and so what you do see here, and I, I guess you probably see this in America today, I don't know, but you see a lot of fathers um, doing what traditionally mothers did, meaning like taking the kids to school, taking the kids in the strollers on walks, um, changing diapers, taking off, going to the kids' school for meetings. You see a lot of that here. I've seen it always here. And I've always been so, um, I don't wanna say jealous, you know, but I just, wow, I just, you see these young fathers with these young babies and and the fathers are always with the babies and taking them to the kindergarten and taking them by hand to the nursery school. And I was at the birthday parties and everything. And I just just love that, you know, they're so involved. They're just so involved. You you never see like an absent parent. Um, You never see an absent father. I, I know I've mentioned this in the past. I just I just loved it. You know I'm I'm not at a stage anymore. We have our last child now living at home. Our our baby is now in eighth grade. It has been years since we had these uh, kindergarten birthday parties, but I still remember seeing the chairs for the child and then each parent and. That's the norm. You know, you take off work to go to your child's birthday party in God when they're five years old or three years old. I just I just always was so impressed with that. And I just wanted to bring it up again. It's been a while since I've talked about it. But that is one of the greatest parts of living in Israel. The value, the high value placed on family. It is prevalent throughout your life and it is prevalent throughout society. And You see it everywhere. And I just love that. I love it. And it's so important. And it's, you know, I know it's not the same way in other places. And the family unit is broken down in, in many places. And here it's strong and it remains strong. And I just love that. And I think you should keep that in mind if you're, you know, debating whether or not to come. What are the benefits? What are the detriments? That's a benefit. That's definitely a benefit of living in Israel. We are uh, going to be interviewing Dove Lipman, who made Aliyah in 2000 and. and is um, a politician, Uh, the first American politician in many years. Um, He's not sitting in the Knesset right now, I understand, but he was with Yesh Atid, and he uh, was involved with um, Aliyah Benefits and Aliyah Rights and um, actually created his own organization called Yad Le'olim, meaning a hand to immigrants, and um, has been very helpful. We're waiting for him. That's just a little bit of background. Um, He lives in Beit Shemesh. He grew up in a suburb of Washington, D.C., Silver Spring, Maryland. Um, I believe like a modern Orthodox background, educated that way as uh, some kind of very being an education, a teacher, a rabbi. So we are being joined now by Dove Lippman. He just caught in the room. We're doing this over Zoom. Dove, um, let me know if you hear me. Hi, I hear you. I uh, just did a little background while we were waiting for you. Discuss your Aliyah 2004, debate Shemesh, your background growing up in Washington. You're a rabbi, you're an educator, and you were in this Knesset for a while. Um, Yeah. But you since have formed this Aliyah group. I know uh, Yad Leolim, B- B- uh, La- Le- right? Yad Leolim. Yes. I've turned to them myself actually for advice. Um, oh, good. And uh, you guys are doing a really, a really very important job. But I do see you're in the news, and you have asked the Knesset. I think uh, you can correct me if I'm saying this wrong, but you've asked for an increase in Aliyah benefits.
2: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't our request, but we were. I mean we have a whole legislative agenda of items that we're working on for Olim that actually wasn't one of them but we certainly uh you know support the government's effort to do so there was a, there's a member of Knesset who who sponsored a law about this and we're going to obviously help uh to make sure that, that gets passed
1: a member of Knesset actually took it upon himself to sponsor a law to increase benefits for Olim
2: yeah yeah
1: and who is that member of Knesset
2: uh, Oded For, who's the chairman of the Aliyah committee in the Knesset.
1: And what's his background? Why would he be interested in doing this?
2: Uh, I mean, he's an Oleh himself from the former Soviet Union. He was the mankal of the Aliyah ministry for a number of years. So he's you know familiar with the struggles and he's just a person who's in tune to what the needs are. And they haven't increased it in a number of years. The cost of living has gone up, but they haven't made the uh, sockley Talk compatible. So, you know, that's his, uh, that's his interest.
1: All right. So I have a couple questions to ask you. I mean, I I don't know the current um, benefits. I know there's like an analysis they give and each person receives different benefits, but in general, it's six months mm-hmm. of, of money.
2: Right. So I don't have the specific numbers uh, at my fingertips either, but I just know that if they haven't increased it in a number of years, uh, you know, if the whole concept is, to enable people to function and uh during their you know first period of time in israel especially many of them before they have jobs so then it has to be a living amount and not something which is uh you know from the distant past
1: um yeah i was gonna i I have a couple of things to check about this now when when um people come here do you know the percentage of the people who actually stay versus the ones who don't
2: I don't have those numbers. I mean, obviously, we know that from the former Soviet Union, there's a very high number that goes back. But in the broader population, it's pretty high in terms of people who stay. I just don't know the exact number.
1: Wow. You, you say that Russians go back? I thought the Americans went back.
2: No, no. Very small percentage.
1: Great. Good to hear. Great to hear.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, do you think that increasing the subsidy will encourage Aliyah? No, I don't
2: think. I, I'm, i you know, I... I I speak all around the world about Aliyah and obviously I'm a proponent of Aliyah, but I believe that people have to make Aliyah for ideological reasons. And if you believe that this is the place you're supposed to be, then you find a plan, you work at it, you'll suffer through all the challenges like everyone goes through and hopefully you can persevere. And if you don't have the ideology to to have you here, uh, you know, it's not going to be a a small increase in the amount that you get in the first few months. That'll make the difference. I do believe that if we, continue to succeed in helping people with the bureaucracy and just making life overall uh, easier. I do believe that word will get back to those who are who want to come here ideologically, but are just hesitant because of all the challenges. And hopefully that will increase the number of people that come.
1: All right. So is that what you see as um, changing at all? Because as far as I know, I interview people also um, all kinds of only before they've come here and after. And I don't hear anything like uh, it's easy. You know, some people some people have a different attitude. You know, some people know how to handle administration. And some people, it's the first time in their life they've ever had to wait, you know, for an answer on a piece right. of paper. <laughs>
2: From a starting point, moving to a country with a different language and a different culture under all circumstances is going to be difficult. So Mm -hmm. that's the starting point. Add to it the fact that we just have as part of our tradition that settling in the land of Israel uh, is going to be something which comes with some degree of suffering with it. It says it straight out in the Gemara. So that definitely is something which plays out, people experience. One of the things that we're doing in Yad L'Olim is just being an address so that uh, when people have those challenges, they have someone to turn to. And in just 18 months, we have almost 30,000 that have turned to us for assistance in one way or another from 22 different countries. So it definitely has created a place where people feel someone cares. There's someone to turn to. There's someone who's capable of helping me through those challenges. But even with all of that, uh, there's still going to be the day-to-day hurdles of language and culture, and uh, that can never be done away with but uh, hopefully like I said before if people are coming with the ideology of understanding that this is where a Jew is supposed to live then you're able to persevere even sure. through those challenges
1: sure you can overcome anything with the right attitude are you involved in the licensing licensing here driving licensing l- nursing licensing are you guys involved in, in having that ease up a little bit so
2: we, we help that in two, on two levels one level is when people are having their own bureaucratic challenges on that front, we can reach out to the various ministries and representatives and help them with it. But obviously we're also working on a policy level to always try to make things easier. When I was a member of Knesset, one of the number one issues that we returned to about was the driver's license issue. It used to be that no matter how long you were driving, you still have to take a theory test and and go through the whole process. And we were able to change that. So, you know, it it is possible to get policies changed. And we certainly want to make things uh, easier for people on a policy level. We're working hard with the authorities about the process of accreditation of academic degrees and professional licenses to make sure uh, that that goes more smoothly and, and that people uh, are answering the way they should be answered. So we have a wide range of areas where we're trying to change policies. Some of it is generated by our meetings with Olim and hearing what their issues are. and Some of them we just know on our own, from our own experiences.
1: Okay. And how are those going? Because we have listeners here, um, some of them, you know, that is the stumbling block, being able to make a living here. Nurses, as I know teachers, everybody, they, they come with this wealth of knowledge, maybe 20 years in a profession, and they come over here and their piece of paper is worthless. And it's like they've never done anything. They got to start over.
2: So the proposal that we have is essentially that uh, there should be – because to change the whole system will take time. The immediate stopgap measure that we have in mind is that there should be a committee that people can appeal to. So in other words, if they're rejected, there should be a, a committee of experts who understand the world and understand academia and understand uh, what's happening beyond Israel who can say that this person you know deserves to be accredited. So that's okay. the immediate – but again, we have a new government that was just uh, recently sworn in. We've gone to the going through the process of meeting the new ministers, meeting the members of Knesset, meeting the committee chairs, and developing uh, a pathway forward for all the issues that we have in our agenda.
1: Uh-huh. And that, so, even those little those little issues with the licensing that you've got to got to start again, don't you?
2: Well. On a certain level, meaning we raise the issues with the various uh, authorities and, uh, you know, to, to change policy is something which takes time, whether it's through legislation or whether it's through a minister giving a directive. Uh, but we know how to work the system. And okay. yes, when you have a new government, then it's you start the process again. And mm-hmm. uh, certainly one of the blessings of this the results of the past election without getting into the politics is hopefully the possibility of a stable government for a period of time that we can really move forward uh, with these items.
1: Good. I, I, I hear you. I hope that can happen. There's so many things to do. Do you have a prediction of the amount of olim who will be coming into Israel the next one or two years?
2: I don't have a specific prediction in terms of uh, numbers. I do know that this past year was super high, and uh, mostly because of the war in Ukraine and the spillover to Olim from Russia. Uh, we certainly hope to reach a point where the numbers uh, rise. Okay, uh, when certainly... you say super
1: high, I, I read 27,000. What numbers are you saying? Are oh, oh,
2: far more, far more. Uh, I mean, I'm close to uh, 100,000 Olim. Okay, now a general year, it's usually about 40,000, and it, it rose by uh, two and, two, 250% 1, in the past year. Wow. And that was a major, major operation to help these people get settled. Again, like I said, from Russia, a lot of them went back, but uh, certainly high numbers have stayed as well. And there's a lot of work that goes into making sure that these Olim can remain here and uh, and succeed here. I certainly hope to inspire more Olim from around the world to come.
1: So yeah, tell me a little bit about that and our listeners. What are the where have they been living? Where are they housed? What new developments and communities are going up to support them? Because like, I mean, hopefully you're right. Hopefully this number will stay high. Where will these Olim hope to live?
2: Well, there's a general housing shortage in Israel and a difficulty for people to find a place to live, that's for sure. Um, There's all kinds of solutions that were on the table. Certainly, uh, they were looking to provide uh, subsidized housing for the new Olim in the periphery areas in the south and in the north. A lot of the Olim, for a number of reasons, wanted to move more towards the center. That's where they had family. That's where they have jobs. So there's a lot of difficulty. And we, at Yad Olim, we certainly have Aliyah advisors who are helping the olim uh, navigate the system find a place find a place to live get employment helping them transfer their licenses and their degrees. And it's a major, major operation. We also have a a shop, the Yad Olim shop in Cinema City in Jerusalem, where we help provide people with uh, clothing and kitchenware and toiletries and other necessities because they a lot of them are coming here with close to nothing. So there's efforts of organizations like ourselves and the certainly government kicks in as well and all try to work together to enable the Olim, uh to succeed. And it's uh, certainly uh, complicated. It certainly puts a strain on the system. The one good thing is the new government... Both the new minister and the new chairman of the Aliyah committee, you know, all are very committed to making sure that uh, the government puts as many resources as possible towards uh, this process. And you know, we as organizations, certainly Yad L'Olim, are providing the support uh, that we can give to the Olim, primarily in terms of navigating the bureaucracy and really uh, getting settled uh, in their in their absorption process.
1: Well, if someone is coming over here and they are looking for a place to live, and and nefesh benefesh uh, maybe isn't applicable, maybe they're not answering them. They probably turn to you right away. Um, Where are you guiding these people to live? I mean, so, you so let me just
2: clarify. First of all, Nefesh B'Nefesh is the official arm of the Israeli government for Aliyah from North America. A lot of people oh, have a lot of confusion about that. You cannot make Aliyah from North America without working through Nefesh B'Nefesh. And they certainly provide services for their Olim after Aliyah as well. Uh, that's 2,500 to 3,000 Olim a year. There's 37,000 more Olim from all around right. the world. Right. And that's really uh, where we kick in and we help out. And certainly we work in partnership with Nefesh B'Nefesh. If people turn to us, that should be turning to them. We'll send them. You know, Certainly there are Uh, situations where there are a a degree of complication that will get involved in some of the issues um, as well. But people know to come to our website at yadloelim.org and reach out in uh, like a wide range of areas of assistance that they need. And we certainly, we have a special division dedicated to healthcare, Memory of Shira Pransky, where we have experts who help people from everything as little as getting an appointment in their uh, HMO or people who God forbid have children who are ill and need to really get the assistance that they need, helping people with their health insurance, helping people getting their children placed in proper schools with our relationship with the education ministry. There are situations that come up with with driver's licenses, like you mentioned, or their accreditations. Again, our our contacts within the ministries enable us to uh, help people. And, and you, you might be surprised to hear this, but you know, Yad Ulim grew uh, very much through the whole Corona crisis and helped people get into Israel. Oh, uh, we I, still that's have how, yeah.
1: Big... You guys are amazing. That's why I turned to you. You you had this, uh, you, you had it all. You got it all. You had all the steps of what to do and you were updating them like every day, every time there was a change, you showed the change. It was really helped. I think you guys were yeah, the so... only people who did that.
2: So one of our goals was to just get information out to people. We still, to this day, you know, provide that information whether it's about travel or other issues. And even you know, as recently as yesterday, people were stuck in an airport because of some bureaucratic mess, and they reached out to us. And we certainly used our our contacts and abilities to help people in, in, continuously in these emergency situations. And uh, that's something which you know, it grew out of that. But Yad Vashem became an official organization a year and a half ago in June 2021. And since then, we've grown to uh, an organization of 20, 23 salaried employees and a very significant budget and, and just growing by need as the numbers yeah. of people that turn to us for a variety of issues uh, has grown.
1: Okay, so I just want to understand. So you're not the North American Olim organization at all?
2: No, that's very much officially nefesh Benefesh, And uh, certainly anybody who's making Aliyah from North America, that's your address uh, uh-huh. to go to for the Aliyah process and for some of the immediate things you might have after your Aliyah, uh, but we're available for. But, but OK, okay just
1: world. I just want to make it clear to everyone listening. <laughs> if you want to make Aliyah go to Nefesh Benefesh.
2: They're they're the official arm of the Israeli government to make Aliyah from North America. Uh, Yad Elim is available, though, for any situations, uh, you know, complicated situations that come up. And if it's from North America, you know, we'll work with our partners at Nefesh B'Nefesh on it. And certainly Mm -hmm. if it's from anywhere else around the world, uh, we're available to help people by navigating them, pressuring the authorities if need be, and just making sure that everyone can have as smooth an Aliyah and absorption process as possible.
1: I understand. So I'm sure people at Nefesh B'Nefesh refer people to you when they have these little problem areas. Yeah, but, there's
2: this, this constant communication yeah. uh, between the organizations. So we and yeah. we're have we partners also with Telfed, that's an organization that helps people for alayat South, from South Africa and Australia. We work with Kalita, that helps French Olim. We work with Ole, that's Spanish-speaking Olim. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's no doubt that the, the service that we provide in terms of... Uh, the the guidance, the response time, the government relations, the shop in Cinema City, uh, certainly filling a, a very desperate need that many Olim have.
1: Yeah. And I would think mostly non-North American Olim. Correct? I mean... It, I, I just, well, it's a co-
2: combination. Obviously, if someone's making Aliyah from North America, uh, like I said, their first address for the process is is Nefesh, nefesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, You know, there are people who have been here for many years who are from North America as well, who have a very complicated uh, bureaucratic situation, which uh, certainly they can turn to us and and we're available for assistance.
1: Do uh, people turn to you? Um, the non- I'm, say- I'm, I'm saying non-Americans because I, I'll just put it out there. You know, it's when I when I read about the increase um, in ALIA benefits. And I immediately thought North Americans, OK, stupid of me to think that. But I thought North Americans, why do they need an increase? So many North Americans come here and they're richer than I'm ever going to be. I'm not the only one who thinks that that is a, the things that people think. What, what do I say? They, they think Americans are rich. OK, they, they say Americans are rich. You can only live in Israel if you're rich. But um, it sounds to me that you are handling everyone else and i wanted to know if other people can turn to you for financial assistance uh, people coming from the ukraine people coming from russia wherever
2: so we don't provide uh, financial assistance to people we don't have the mechanism for that i'm dealing with a very significant budget just to keep up with this with the uh, with the services that we're providing and it's all privately funded uh, people that are giving us uh, the that's uh, stuck a charity uh, we have a 501c3 in america we have a set up the cif 46 in israel ability for tax deductions in Canada and the UK. So people from all around the world are contributing uh, towards our efforts. But uh, if people need financial assistance, specifically, there are other organizations that are out there that are built for that. We certainly will refer people uh, to go to those organizations that can actually help them uh, financially. But I will definitely tell you that even from North America, the number of women that are coming here that are not uh, what we would call wealthy and people who are younger and people who are in the middle of their lives who just believe that Israel is the place where Jews are supposed to live. Uh, they're coming here and it's not always easy. It's very worthwhile. and It's very meaningful, but uh, they certainly can benefit if the government does uh, increase uh, the stipend that Olim will get. But again, uh, if someone is making Aliyah, it can't just be uh, because of uh, the financial benefits work. It's because they believe this is where they should be. And hopefully the financial benefits that come uh certainly in the beginning of their aliyah when the government helps uh will make a difference and make it easier for them during the transition process
1: yeah i hope so too and i and i agree with you um nobody should come here for the money <laughs> you know, right? first of all it's not that much you know why i should move anywhere look some people are, are looking for a way out some people are having a bad situation in their life they're looking for a life change and they look at israel as a um safety net that's how they see it and sometimes you change a place you change your luck and that's one of the reasons that propels people to move here.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt that there's a percentage of people who come because they need a change and they need, uh, uh, you know, things haven't been going well and they're looking for a new place. And you know, certainly Israel is a wonderful place with a with a, a lot of possibilities. But again, it, it's very, very difficult to navigate the challenges if you also don't have a belief that this is a specific place uh, where you should be. And if you if you see it with those eyes, then first of all, you're I think you have more strength to be able to get through the challenges. And even more significantly, you see inspiration and you see beauty. Every everywhere. Everywhere you turn because you're seeing it through the eyes of someone who wants to, a Jew who is a Jew who wants to be in the Jewish state, and then you know on a daily basis you can be inspired and find meaning. I'll also add that you know we have commentaries throughout our tradition that talk about when you're living in the land of Israel, you know, anything that you're doing uh, towards uh, contributing towards the state is part of the mitzvah of, of of settling the land of Israel. You know, so if a person's a carpenter and every time they hammer in that nail, uh, they are fulfilling a biblical commandment. That that turns life into something very meaningful when you realize that you're part of the return of the Jewish people to their homeland and the fulfillment of all the biblical prophecies, every single person who comes here is playing a role in that, and that automatically transforms all of your life into something far meaningful than it could ever be in other places around the world.
1: Amen. I agree. You're right. You're right. I hope everyone listening uh, hears, here's uh, Dove Littman. I was actually saying in one of my earlier recordings, one of my earlier broadcasts, that you can do anything here You could be an electrician. You could be a plumber. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be a doctor, lawyer, accountant. It doesn't matter here. Everything is um, important. Every every job is important. And it should be that way everywhere. It really should be that way. But here it's even more so. And nobody looks down on you. And people aren't judged that way there. You know, everyone is special. Everyone is important. Uh, We need bus drivers. You know, we need builders. We need electricians. We need policemen. We we need all Jews to be strong here in whatever they do and um exactly what you just said it's a it's more than a mitzvah it's uh you know it's 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 bringing this place to life bringing it as high as it can be is you know israel's special there's only one there's only one jewish country you know everybody it's like all hands on deck
2: absolutely absolutely and and you know, nobody can argue with the fact that the destiny of the Jewish people is in this land. So why not come here and be a part of it instead yeah. of just being a spectator from the outside?
1: Right. 100 percent. Well, thank you. I think you've answered all my questions. If anyone does have any further questions, please contact me at Natalie at Israel News Talk I'll pass those questions on to Dove. And if you want to reach the organization with questions, people should just go
2: online and go to yadolim.org, Y-A-D-L-O-L-I-M.org. There's a contact us page. It's very clear for all different issues uh, that we can help you with. And somebody from our team uh, will definitely uh, be in touch. And certainly on that same website, there's an opportunity for people to contribute as well. If they want a tax-deductible donation, uh, we certainly are in a place where we can use that support.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you, Dove. Thank you for making the time to see me. I know you're very busy, and it was great to meet you, and uh, take care, have a great week, have a great Shabbat. Thank you so much, Shabbat Shalom. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I really um, didn't have plans to uh, interview or meet Dov Littman, but um, a listener actually asked me to speak with him because uh, that listener was interested in that issue, that 20% um, increase being discussed for the different um, for the package for the package. Now when I say package, and when he mentioned "sal kliat" or maybe he said "basket of rights," I used to not understand this. But when I made Ali, I did have to. Um, what it means is, when you do move here, you get certain benefits. You get six months of free health care. You get a rental subsidy. You get um, a discount on the tax if you import or do a shipment of goods overseas. You get, I think, I think up to a year to, I might be wrong, maybe up to five years. You, you get a certain amount of years where you can buy a brand new car tax-free, which is huge here, because it's, it's like buying a car here is very expensive and um, the tax is basically like 100% or something. Um, and I think they've added things since I'm in LA. I think you actually get like a SIM card also. Um, and there may be there may be some other benefits. If you're a student, you might get um, a discount. You might get absolute even more. You might get free education. I know you get Ulpan, which is intensive Hebrew lessons for six months. That you get that's free, and there may be some other things. You know, um, but you do get a monthly stipend. You get actual money, and that um, which both of us, as you remember from the interview, neither of us knew the number because it isn't a straight across-the-board number for every family or every person, they do a calculation to see what you qualify for. Um, So that's fine, that that's um, rising in accordance with um, the rise of living. The cost of living has risen, like Dove said, and so it makes sense, and that's great, and it sounds like the member of Knesset, um, Oded, is is a good guy and pushing, and I'm thrilled to hear that. Um, this isn't exactly you know hot news, but it did pop up, and um, on one of my uh, chats, so um, I wasn't surprised when somebody asked me to talk to him. Um, it's funny, you know, when I look for topics to discuss or meet people to interview, sometimes, it's more interesting. Sometimes it's less interesting. Um, and, you know, you don't always know how it's going to go. And, and I, I was just having a conversation with someone about a totally unrelated topic. Uh, a friend of mine recently um, in America got a part-time home, a second home, if you will, in Boca Raton, Florida. And he was just telling me how nice it is and how much it is such a relaxing atmosphere And how everything is slow and people, you know, their biggest worry is when are they going to play golf? And he did notice and does notice, and he mentioned this to me, that there's this lack of connection to Israel, lack of awareness about Israel, lack of Zionism is what he called it. And he even went so far as to say there's no commitment. And I didn't know what that was. What what he meant? I, I I hear the word commitment. I thought commitment is when you love someone, you're committed to someone. Um, that's what I think of the word commitment. And I said to him, "What do you mean commitment? What are you talking about being committed?" And he said, "Oh, I mean being committed to Israel." <laughs> I started laughing, and I said, "Committed to Israel? Nobody's there is committed to Israel. If they were committed to Israel, they wouldn't be there. They'd be here." And he was taken aback a little bit and he said, oh, well, what I mean is, um, yeah, you're right. You're right. First of all, you're right. But what I meant is people who are involved and who can't, whatever. It was like just the dumbest expression I've ever heard. And maybe it's used. I'd never heard it before. And um, it's just so funny, you know, to hear that kind of talk because that's all it is talk it's painful it's not funny Um, it's painful when you see the numbers that there are you know six million Jews living outside of Israel and six million Jews living inside of Israel and it's painful when you you know start losing touch with people and when they can't come to visit anymore Um, when your life is taking a completely different direction than theirs because here in Israel, the, the paths in your life are so direct. Your children, you see the paths they take. It's just amazing. you know. They go to school. They go to high school or yeshiva high school. They go to Mechina. And they go to the army. Then they either do a university, or they get married, or they do some kind of job, or they travel. They grow up very, very orderly. And yeah, of course, there are people who go off the derech, which means, um, you know, they stray for sure. But very, you know, very popular roots are the ones I just described, one step after the other, and they um, bloom, they blossom, they are so productive. And we also, you know, we just march on, all of us adults, you know, we we keep. Doing things and, and doing as much as we can to, you know, be ready for when our kids come home, pretty much. And, um, you know, life just goes by and all of a sudden it's time to plant trees again, you know. And it just it was winter two weeks ago. Here it is, you know, the end of January. It's sunny out. You see grass. Um, people are planting now. The flowers come out now. It's so quick. The The, the, the life and the seasons just go by so quickly. And it's so beautiful to be here and to, to take it all in and to be part of it. Even if you're not part of anything big, being part of this country is is big enough. So to, you know, say things like people are committed or like, it's just, if you're not here, you're not. I hate to tell you, you know, I'm sorry if it hurts your feelings. But if you're not here, how committed are you? Um, we have a great guest coming up. It's going to be for the next show. And um, it's a woman I recently met, and um, I'm not going to say much more, but I always think that, you know, I've met everyone in Israel and that I don't want to interview anyone else from this part or that part, but this woman is actually from Beit Shemesh, and she has a very interesting story and um, made Aliyah twice with her husband and will explain why and how, and I think it will resonate with a lot of people who listen to the show. So please tune in. And um, I'll be back next week. And I hope that those of you who are happy with me, who aren't happy with me, who have questions, continue to write in to me. Please do. My email is natalie at com. And I'm happy to hear your questions, your criticisms, and whatever you got to dish out of me.